Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Now available in more homes than the Pac 12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uh, that uscfootball.com place. Yeah. And I cover the USC Trojans, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. And when we partner up, David and myself. It's, it's like so the- weird how you have to point that way because of the way you've structured this. Yes. You're pointing at your bookshelf right now. Wonder Twin Powers activate. We become the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football, at least for another year. Yes, we're talking Pac-12 football. Uh, We got an exciting show for late June. We're trying to bring on a special guest. He's run a little late, so we're trying to add him uh, on the fly. We'll see how that works. If not, we'll just kind of chat about stuff. This is such a professional show most of the time that I think people are going to feel um, a little bit cheated if there's any kind of technical issue whatsoever. Right. It, it happens. Um, so, yeah, I think... Oh. My contrast against the red today is really incredible. You're blue and red? Yeah. I know. I like it. Um, well, what we're doing is uh, we're going to talk a little coaches uh, in the Pac-12 and um, we're going to try to bring in, and let me see if I can do this right now, uh, David Bartu. He's uh, over there at, at CFB Matrix, uh, part of the Matrix analytical team. So I'm going to bring him on in a second. But want to let you guys know, if you like the show, you want to comment on there, you can do this a number of different ways. Send us an email, pack12podcast at gmail.com. You can call or text us at 424 424- Five three two zero six seven eight, or you can tweet us at Pac Twelve Podcast, and of course the website is Pac Twelve Podcast dot uh, com. We get all our stuff. We also love to uh, do the reviews. If you have a Apple phone, iPhone, you got an iPad, something like that, and you want to follow the show, which means subscribe. We love that for the podcast of champions, and then also uh, you can leave us a five star rating and some kind of funny review. We get a bunch of those. Uh, David, do we got any new ones? We have no new ones. Okay. Uh, the last one in there is the uh, first 500 words or so of Moby Dick. Um, so if anyone else has any classical literature that they'd like to uh, use for a review, uh, if they have anything, um, any, I, I don't know, recipes, uh, anything they want to share, but make sure that it has a five-star review, uh, that'd be great. Um, you know, we, we're, we're not particular. We are not. Um, well, it looks like I think I got this working on the fly. Hold on. Let's see if we can do this. 
Looks like we got David Bartu on the on the screen there. David, can we hear you? I don't know if we can hear you. How you doing, man? You got me? You got me? We do. Look at that. Pyrex Pickle Blowfish. Call the ball, Topper. Yeah. Uh, this be this is the engineering background at work, David. That I fact is I that what that, that was? I, yeah, basically like trying what, to what type of engineering was this again? Electrical. Oh, electrical okay. Engineer. Well, this is this, this is, is almost electric. electrics. I mean, literally the reason this I, is this is like circuits. Literally, the reason I have the website is because I wrote the code to create the website back in the '90s when you didn't just like you know make websites. Easy. Whatever you know, it was on a GeoCities. Originally, and then I did do my own code and stuff. But uh, Dave Bartu, you follow on Twitter at CFB Matrix, uh, doing some work with uh, with CBS and twenty four seven Sports. Have you seen a couple of the articles where they come in some of the the analytics that that Dave compiles? And I saw recently they did a top ten um, head football coaches in college football, and it was interesting. And there was a you know I was talking to him off off air about like some of the tiers. Of that, we wanted to kind of go over where the Pac-12 coaches uh, land. But anyway, thanks for again for coming in, David. And uh, maybe kind of if you want to give a quick uh, explanation of like what Matrix Analytical is and you know where this data and stuff comes from when you talk. Yeah, about well, this. yeah, the um, the the coaching aspect of it. Well, actually, uh, the the Matrix Analytical, the whole concept of it, uh, we started on that about 13, 14 years ago, 2009, 2010. Uh, and what we wanted to focus on was all the off-field stuff. Uh, so our, our analytical forte is coaching. Okay. Uh, it is helping uh, programs. Uh, we work with programs all over the country on staffing. Uh, we work on creating recruiting analytics uh, because most programs collect some data. They don't collect a lot of data, and they never analyze it. Uh, so we try to create efficiencies in recruiting. Uh, and then uh, we do a lot of work uh, on officiating behavior to figure out how to psychologically manipulate the game based on officiating behavior. Uh, and then we do a lot of devil's advocate work. Uh, when teams come to us and go, hey, everybody's telling us to go for two all the time. And we say, no, that is really dumb. Um, here's why. So, uh, but, the, but the most of our focus is on off-field analytics for college football. Uh, and our big one is coaching. So uh, the, the top 10 that we put out uh, with CBS and 247 for active head coaches, uh, that's only 10 of the 2,805 guys that we have graded for college football this year. So not only do we do head coaches and coordinators, we do everybody that wears a headset. So our database is just over 15,000 coaches in FBS and the FCS since 2009 going forward, active, inactive, it doesn't matter. It is simply the biggest search engine database for coaching information in the world. Okay. Uh, that's that's quite the undertaking. How do you, um, I mean, for especially for assistant coaches uh, and, and deeper into the coaching staff, how do you go about uh, uh, reducing the noise of a rating like that? You know, making sure that you're not uh, building in who the head coach is or what the program is into a, a rating of, you know, coaches who might be just getting started in their careers or if they've spent the entirety of their career at a single program, thinking about like Alabama effect on coaches um, and that sort of thing. Right. Well, the, the Alabama effect is something we call here. Here's our, here's one of our nerd words inside the office. Okay. Uh, we, it's a relative talent differential. <laughs> <laughs> I like that word. Right. Um, for, for for any 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 of you fellow nerds out there watching this, you're like, what? That sounds cool. 
Um, and everybody else is like, yeah, what the hell? Uh, but, but really what it is, is we try to quantify the difference between the talent of the team and the average talent they face. Uh, it's kind of a modified strength of schedule. We call it ease of schedule, EOS. So let's look at it relative to Alabama. Uh, Alabama, number one, number two recruiter in college football for a better part of the last decade. So when they play a football game against anybody but, let's say, Georgia, they have a positive relative talent differential. They have, they have more talent on their side than what they are facing. Um, so an offensive coordinator at Alabama putting up the same numbers as the offensive coordinator at Colorado, well, the numbers are going to weight that Colorado offensive coordinator as the better guy because he is dealing with a lot less talent and a much tougher schedule relative to the talent they have. So that's one of the ways that we try to balance it out. Uh, the other way is um, we don't give anybody a full grade till after three years. So that, you know, the one hit wonder, I, the one guy I always go back to really recently that everybody can kind of relate to is Doug Belk at Houston. Uh, two years ago, first year as a, as a defensive play caller, top 10 defensive scoring efficiency, right? You look at that and you go, man, this guy is a superstar. But in our numbers, it says, nah, he's still a three-star guy, but he's trending in the right direction. But let's not get too far over our skis on this dude. Last year, bottom 20, bang, right? So a lot of it's about sample size over time and not getting too far ahead on guys that might get lucky uh, as, a, as a quarterback coach with an NFL quarterback their first few years, uh, or you get a really good group of kid, core kids. Um, you know, so we really like looking at uh, over time. And that's why like this, this top 10 that came out, uh, the minimum requirement was four years of being a head coach uh, at one or more places uh, on, on this ranking. So we, uh, when we talked offline, there were sort of like, tiers um, of college football coaches in the Pac-12. So we wanted to focus on uh, the guys in the Pac-12. I love that you use like the star thing, like, oh, he's a four-star head coach <laughs> or a three-star defensive coordinator or something like that. Uh, but there's some new coaches. You know, you have like Jake Dickert, who, you know, it was a second, this is going to be his second year, um, mm -hmm. you know, with uh, like a guy like Troy Taylor, it's first year in FBS, but he's been an FCS head coach. So, I mean, how that factors in and, um, you know, a guy like Chip Kelly, he did NFL stuff too. I don't know if you incorporate that at all. Um, now, we don't incorporate the NFL. Um, we finally, this year, we completed our FCS database. Uh, and and for, for anybody wondering how we have 15,000 guys in there with all their names and titles, literally, they are all found one at a time and typed oh. in one at a time. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> it is. But see, but once that information, I mean, could you imagine trying to go back and trying to find all the information to catch up to us? Yeah, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, I know where it's at. <laughs> you know, I know where to find it. I know how many hours it took. But, you know, we we finally got the FCS incorporated in there. And so uh, we have the, we have the FCS guys in there. We'll even look at, look at climbing in the top 10 of head coaches. Uh, that was in large part because of his success at North Dakota State as well. Yeah. So uh, we got the numbers on Troy Taylor, and we'll hit him in a minute here when we start going through our, our Pac-12 preview. So the yeah, let's start with the tiers. Um, we can start at the top. You know, you had Lincoln Riley in your top ten, so I assume he's in the 
the top tier, but what, um, who are the top tiers of the Pac-12 head football coaches? Okay, so we got Lincoln as a five-star, five-star head coach. All right. Now the the, the next two guys uh, are actually the next guy is four and a half star, and the third guy is a four-star guy. So we're, we're gonna your your first tier is three guys, and it's Lincoln, it's Kyle Whittingham, and it's Kalen DeBoer at Washington. So though, though that is, in my opinion, your first tier of head coaches. Uh, in the Pac-12. Lincoln has been in our system for three years. Uh, Kyle's been in it for 14. So having a four-star grade over 14 years, you, you, <laughs> you've been following USC football for a while. You know what the roller coaster feels like, right? It, it goes up and it comes down. So um, some, of these, some of these coaches that have been in the system for a while, when I see a guy that's four, four and a half stars that has been in the system for 10 plus years, I mean, this guy has gone through tons of kids tons of uh, staffing changes, probably multiple schools, and he's still performing at a high level. So um, I think the one guy, I mean, Kyle doesn't surprise anybody. Lincoln doesn't surprise anybody. But DeBoer, if there was a guy, he only has three years as a head coach, so he doesn't even qualify. If there was a guy that could break into that top 10 out of the Pac-12 next year with Lincoln, watch Kalen DeBoer because look how well he's set up. He had a really good year last year. They're building for a bigger year this year. They got a first-round NFL quarterback. They got a four-star offensive coordinator. Uh, I, I think I think DeBoer is a guy to really keep an eye on, not just for next year and getting better. This is a guy that down the road could be a target for an Ohio State if Day leaves uh, to replace Saban in Alabama. Uh, we think he's got superstar potential written all over him as well. Nice. And he's uh, he's worked at the NAIA level. Is there any um, thought to, I don't know, uh, you, you said the FCS challenge was pretty difficult, mm. but adding even further down into the, the tiers of college, Give uh, more college athletics? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my God. I couldn't even imagine trying to go back and trying to find <laughs> Well, the, the, the difficulty there is lack of play-by-play -play data. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and so we have every we, we've now been able to compile every play of every game since 2009 on both sides. So that's how we're able to analyze wide receiver performance, DB performance, offensive line performance. We've got to have the per play stuff. Uh, and we just don't have that kind of depth at the division two, II, division three level NIAA. Yeah. So what would be the uh, the next tier? Uh, okay. So our, our tier two of guys, our tier two of guys. Now, Ryan, you might, I think you and I talked about this. Uh, um, yeah, so as I, I'd normally have you try to guess who's that. Who's that? Oh, uh, yeah. We could have David guess. All right. Uh, who, yeah. Give me, give me a name in the tier two. Tier two, you're going to have Chip Kelly uh, based on the Oregon years. Um, yep. And then I would guess. Lanning hasn't coached enough, so he's not going to be in there. Um, Fish hasn't coached enough. Uh, God, Wilcox isn't going to be in there. Um, <laughs> I think you're in the bottom tier. Dude, dude, look. Look, does that help? Does that help? Oh, he, can see, he can't see it. Um, Jonathan Smith. Beaver hat? Does that, that, that work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Smith makes sense. Yeah. Very good. There is, so, so tier two, we got Jonathan Smith. Um, and I know if, and folks listen, if you go, oh, rank these guys, that's really not what we're into. We like grouping guys together because we know our rankings aren't perfect, right? But we know Lincoln Riley is one of the top 10 head coaches. Where you want to put him in the top 10, 
that's up to you, right? So the same thing with this second group. Um, now, Chip Kelly, when he got to UCLA, obviously his grade, I mean, you're talking about a four and a half star guy. Uh, the numbers were really way up there. Uh, and he has dropped down considerably, mainly because uh, the dude can't staff on defense to save his life. I, I didn't realize this before. I'd only realized this afterward, but like at Oregon, he never had to do anything. It was handed to him. Mike Bellotti created the staff, hired everybody. The defense, defensive or offensive guys, none of it was chips, and he never had to staff at Oregon. And we really missed that hole of experience in the system. And so now that we've been watching Chip at UCLA, dude, he has lost so many games with garbage defense. I mean, bad defense, time and time again. He's got one of the lowest graded defensive support staffs in our system still after, what, four or five, five years mm -hmm. at UCLA. So Chip's down in that second tier, still an awesome play caller, but, but second tier guy. Um, Jonathan Smith has worked his way up. Uh, into the upper part of that second tier as well at Oregon State. He's been he's been head coach now for five years in our system and has been working his way up there. So really solid second tier four-star head coach there. And this one might surprise people uh, to be in that, that, that second tier, but Troy Taylor at Stanford. And nobody really follows FCS, but Sac State for three years under Troy Taylor was pretty badass. And not only were they pretty badass, they progressed. That's another metric that we use is regression and progression. Uh, that's a big reason like why Jeff Brom is in the top 10 is because he took two programs, bottom of the bucket, Western Kentucky, bottom of the bucket, recruiter Purdue, and made them big time winners. Purdue was in the Big Ten championship game last year, worst recruiter in that division. So we really take that that progression of results seriously. And that's why Smith and, and, and Taylor are up there because they're progressing their programs so strongly in a short period of time. So um, as, as far as Troy Taylor and Stanford as well, for everybody listening, I think that's a really under the radar staff. He picked a lot of really good guys up. Nobody's talking about Stanford because Shaw ran them right into the ground the last couple of years, but uh, it's going to take a few years to come back. But from a coaching standpoint, Stanford is really, really good right now. They're crushing recruiting too. I mean, recruiting really well. Uh, new, yeah. So it seems like Troy Taylor. It's going to probably take him a while because I think the roster is still crap. But um, yeah. you know, I'm picking them last. I think in the Pac-12. But I think that he's doing the right things to turn them around. You want to see Stanford be good again. Yeah. Um, Next tier, what's the, I don't know, do you have like a, just a, all the rest or is it like? It's almost all the rest, see, because you have, you got Sander, Deion Sanders with two years of experience, okay? You got Lanning with one year, you got Dickert with one year, you got Dillingham with nothing. Dillingham is just nothing. There's, there's no conversation there other than us laughing about it if it doesn't work for hiring a guy that is an average offensive coordinator for his career. So, you know, but as a head coach, we got nothing on that guy. Uh, Jed Fish, two years. He's the only guy that is trending below average right now. His first two years uh, in our numbers uh, are below at and below the national average, um, and it's just not going in the right direction in Arizona, in our opinion. So, but again, this is why we wait at least three years, three full years, to get a good beat on somebody. But uh, if we were tearing up the 
first and second year guys. I'd put Jed on the bottom uh, of that group. Dion, uh, we got Dion at the top of that group of the one and two year guys. He had a really good run at Jackson State. He recruited very well. Uh, and he actually staffs really good for the most part, uh, especially on the defensive side of the football. I don't like his offensive defensive coordinator pairing this year. Uh, I think it's going to really hurt them because Lewis is going to run 100 plays a game and Charles Kelly is used to defending 60. And that was a decade ago. Uh, plus, you have all the, the, the turnover of the kids. So I think they'll be happy to win a football game. Uh, but it'll be interesting in terms of the direction for that. Uh, with Lanning and Dickert, they basically had the same year last year. Uh, we have them as, you know, three-star guys right now with an above-average first year, and we'll just see where it goes uh, with those two. I got an interesting nugget about Lanning, though. He is the only guy that we've been able to find, only, got, only head coach in 2022, that made fourth-down decisions against the analytics that lost him two games. Bunch of guys lost one game making bad analytic decisions. He's the only one in all of FBS football that made two fourth down decisions that directly cost him two football games. Was this not going for it or go like no, going for it? By going for it. Oh, when he by shouldn't have gone for it. Oh, yeah, by going for it. It, it is. Um, David loves going see, for it. Yeah, by go, going for it. Going for two is the same thing. There were only there were only four games last year where going for two affected the actual outcome of the football game. 738 FBS versus FBS teams last year. 738, four were affected by going for two. One of them was a winning game. Wow. You know that, right? The only game that was won on a two-point conversion, Utah-USC. The other three oh. were lost on two-point conversions. Interesting. Oh, that's true. Um, I've got one more for you, Dave. Um, could you give us a sneak peek at uh, what the... Um just to give people kind of a gauge of maybe some guys who are uh, underachieving uh, nationally, like in your, um, when you're looking at FBS coaches, what does the bottom 10 look like? Are there some names that stand out in there? I don't want you to give away the whole game because I'm oh, sure the, you. The, the, the bottom. Oh, oh, okay. So we, we're going to, we're going to talk some crap here, right? I want to, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to let you get out of here without talking some shit. Let's get after it. <laughs> oh, oh, I can say shit on the air now. Yeah. yeah go for it. <laughs> That that makes oh, that makes it a lot easier that uh, that I don't really have to hold back and I can be myself a whole lot more. <laughs> um, but now it's I, <laughs> let's make sure I don't work for any of these guys. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, um, actually, we're we we turn down a lot of business because um, we don't like hitching our wagon to to guys that aren't going to perform at a high level, uh, and so now. Uh, you know, I was on the air yesterday and, and I kind of got the same question, you know, and, and it was the question was really more like what guy is people are always talking about that your numbers say is like, eh, mm, right. That's good. I like that. Yeah. I like that, too. You know, instead of instead of guys that are like, oh, that guy sucks. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, yeah, we. We, we know that Willie Taggart, like last year, Willie Taggart, bottom three head coach in all of, all of FBS, you know, coming into the season. It's like, okay, we, we knew that. There's no surprise there. But how about guys that the media is always in love with and it makes me and my business partner go, huh? What? Um, one, one of them has always been since day one, Jimbo Fisher. Okay? Oh, 
Always. Since day one, everybody's like, oh, Jimbo's going to bring us a national title. Dude, Jameis Winston ain't walking down that hall ever again. He ain't winning a national title. I don't – he's, he's a good, above-average head coach. Okay, he's a great recruiter. He's a very good staffer. This is a top 20 staff overall. But the weak link is Jimbo Fisher. That's the weak link on the staff. You know, they have top 10 recruiting. You know, you 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 put you put any number of guys. You put Kalen DeBurr at Texas A&M, I have no problem somebody betting them to win a national title in the next three years. Okay? You know, you put Lincoln Riley at A&M, right now, national title contender. No question in my mind. Right? You know, so I think I think Jimbo is slightly overrated, not not hugely, um, but I don't think he deserves the national greatness of attention uh, that that he gets. Um, the other, let me see, let me see here. You know, the guy I, I looked at yesterday, the one that always confuses me is Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Mm. Um, he can, that I mean, the, he doesn't have high expectations, right? He can win like eight games a year and everyone's happy and he just kind of does his thing, you know? Right, but everybody's always talking about him like, you know, that he's he's in line for the next jobs, right? And I, I, I have personally been working with the ADs for four of the last five huge, four of the last five biggest head coach hires of the last two years. I've worked with four of the five programs. The only program I didn't work with was USC. Um, and not one of them had Stoops on the even on the list. We never even pulled a report on the guy. Yeah. So I don't understand that one uh, very good. Um, going down through here, I think Matt Campbell gets a lot of run, and I don't think he's, he's all that. Uh, I don't think Gus Malzahn gets enough run. Everybody talks crap about him. I think he's better than he is. Dana Holgerson, there's one on the list. That guy is way overrated. He has been in our system for 12 years, and only one of those 12 years has he performed above the talent expectation of his team once. So not the numbers are not a big Holgerson fan. Oh, and Mel Tucker, what the hell? <laughs> Holy shit. How that guy got that contract? I mean, he is. You give him a six and six team, he's going six and six. <laughs> you give him a twelve and zero team, he's going twelve. He is going to be average as hell. Um, Speaking of big contracts of the Big Ten, last one before I let you go, the, uh, James Franklin's name comes up a lot on big. Like you know, he turned around Vanderbilt. Like Vanderbilt only had like three ranked seasons in their history, and he had two of them in his three year run. Like, what is his? Uh, where is he like kind of rank? Oh, I'm I'm totally biased towards James Franklin because first first big call I ever got was from him. I was out getting I was out getting limes and tonic because I was I was out of limes and tonic on spring break. It was like eight thirty in the morning, and I was going to get more limes and tonic. And I'm I'm walking back and the phone rings and it's a Nashville area code and I'm like spam, but I'm gonna answer it anyways, right? Oh, hi James. <laughs> oh man, but now he's um, top thirty coach. Okay. Uh, he's he's taking a little bit of a step, but he, he's still really rock solid. Look, the guys around him, uh, Matt Rule, Gus Malzahn, Jonathan Smith, Kalani Sataki, Brett Bielema, Jamie Chadwell. I mean, he's, he's really good uh, in terms of results. He's an excellent staffer, really good at staffing, and he's a rock star recruiter. Uh, I just, I would say his weakness is the on-field result overall. 
uh, but still a, a really solid head coach. I, I think he deserves a lot more run than, let's say, a Stoops or a Holgerson or guys like that. All right. Well, Dave Artu, go, go check him out on Twitter, at CFB Matrix. Thanks so much for uh, sharing the insight. Looking forward to uh, more articles uh, of on uh, CBS and 24-7 Sports uh, paired with you guys. So thanks again. The next one coming out, you are going to have me back on because it is nobody's ever seen it before. First time in the history of college football, and it is just absolutely badass. And there's a couple of USC guys in there. All right. Well, awesome. we'll check it out. Thanks, Thanks Dave. Dave. Uh, take care, man. Thank you. Yep. All right. Dave Bartu. Nice job. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if you guys saw, David, I don't know if you saw these. So that's, that's why I kind of called them up. We've had them on before. Um, but the whole, um, the first one was like the, I think it was like the 10 best coaches, like just sort of mm -hmm. overall. It could be. You know, like Ohio State's wide receiver coach, they would rank all of you know all of them. And like Lincoln Riley was up there, but it was more for his like quarterback development and offensive coordinator than being a head coach. You know, um, and then the last one was just head coaches. And I'm like, I was curious about the Pac-12 ones, and I'm I'm interesting to see what the some of the numbers are. But I, people love talking about the numbers. I think those articles have done really well on 24/7. But yeah, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I kind of like that stuff. Yeah. Um, I know you you hate when work happens and stuff. But, no, no, I love it. Uh, he kind of crapped on Chip Kelly's defensive, you know, staff, which hiring. is so weird because he got a <laughs> he got an extension. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I mean, a, a lot Chip of, should be in the top. A, a lot of what Dave says, um, you know, you can you can grade an analytics system a lot of times by uh, smell test, and I would say. So the uh, one, I would say it it coheres with what you would think, right? And even the names he was saying is guys who are underrated, like Gus Malzahn. Yeah, a chronically overrated guy, uh, or chronically underrated guy. Um, and so all that stuff kind of makes sense. The one thing, and this is my first question to him, and this is the trouble uh, with any kind of analytic system that 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 um, is grading people and not teams and programs, is you've got to remove so much noise to make it make sense. Yeah, um, You've got to remove so much noise to isolate on an offensive coordinator and say, no, no, that's the offensive coordinator. It's not the effect of the coach. It's not the effect of the program. It's not the effect of the players he has. It's just the offensive coordinator. And there are some truly elite offensive coordinators who are going to be obvious, and there are some truly bad offensive coordinators who are going to be obvious. But grading the middle, like when you're looking at, you know, I don't know, Noel Mazzoni, like how do you grade him uh, relative to the um, – the, uh, situations he's been in, all those different things. Does yeah. he just, you know, does he raise the quality of any program he's in or does it have to be certain circumstances? Um, and that's the stuff where I think this is a great framework for understanding that, but I, you, you do have to be a little bit careful with how you kind of get too deep into it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see. And we, you know, we have so many young coaches in the conference. We don't know. Uh, where they were going to be. It doesn't sound like he was super... Uh, I didn't get the Dan Lanning picture. Here's a good cigar one of him. Um, didn't get an impression that he was uh, super impressed with Dan Lanning. Or Lane well, Lanning. I liked what he said about that because he said Jake Dickert and Lanning had basically the same season last year, which if you're looking at their records, no, of course they didn't. But relative to their programs, they had basically the same season. Yeah, Washington State had about an average season for modern-day Washington State. Oregon had about an average season for modern-day Oregon. So... Um, they're they're building that in, like the program effect on some of these coaches. Um, the looking at his top ten, um, you've got kind of the usual players, and I'm always kind of sitting there like, well, 
Lincoln Riley's entire career has been at Oklahoma and USC. That's his entire career. As a head coach. Yeah, as a head coach. But that's his entire career. Um, So... uh, yeah, what would he be at Washington State? Or what whatever? would he be yeah. at Washington yeah. State? Is he if he was at Washington State, would he be any better or worse than whatever random air raid guy they have now or whatever? You know, um, and I think that's the the part that, um, it's just it, it is hard to build in that extreme of a program effect um, yeah. because USC and Oklahoma are tier one programs, and if you look at his top ten, uh, the. I don't know, the top five in there are all at tier one programs. So unless you feel like hiring is perfect and it's a perfect game um, that, you know, all of these best programs are hiring great coaches like Ryan Day, you stick Ryan Day at Stanford. Um, I don't know. Is he fired within three years or four? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, um, but he's like, so I actually talked to him off. And so as a play caller, he had Ryan Day really high, like a lot of Lincoln's um success has been like as a quarterback developer and a play caller and offensive coordinator, like having three Heisman winners and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's sort of what gets. Yeah. But where, in. where was, I like mean, Ryan Day's like a really good offensive coordinator, like Kirby smarts, a really good defensive coordinator. So I think part of it is like built in, like what they do. Well, it's not just like they're head coach of a major program. They actually do something well coach wise, like before they were right. But Ryan days, I mean, is I know his two years of OC experience directly before his head coaching year was under, um, what was that gentleman's name? Urban, Urban Meyer, Meyer, uh, for Ohio state. <laughs> Who seemed to be pretty good at shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, uh, there's, there's a program effect that even happens at that level where it's just like, okay, if your career in isolation is entirely in, uh, a tier one program, yeah. And what do we know? It's like a privileged thing or whatever, right? Like yeah. you know, there's advantages for that. But we've seen people get those jobs See, and stink. Like right? Nick, Nick Saban is a is a great one because um Nick Saban before he went to Alabama. Well actually before he went to LSU. Um Michigan State. Yeah. He was really good at Michigan State. Nobody was talking about him like he was the best coach in the history of football. Yeah. Um there's a like if you if you stuck Nick Saban ten years ago at Cal, uh does he produce Alabama? Does he produce Jeff Tedford era Cal? I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea what it looks like. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. It's food for thought and it's fun stuff. Um, I just don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot that you have to, a lot of waiting that you have to do that's just very, very, very hard to do. Yeah. Um, you know what tomorrow is? So we're recording this on, uh, and if you're watching us live on our uh, YouTube channel, I appreciate the, you doing that. Um, we've got like 40 people in there in the live chat and stuff. So you can put questions in the, in the comment box and stuff, but we appreciate when you're uh, watching and uh, chiming in. I've tried to put some of your comments up on the screen, um, but we are recording this live on uh, June 29th. Do you know what the tomorrow anniversary is? Of the day, USC and UCLA rocked the world. And uh, yesterday was the anniversary of uh, my friend of a friend telling my friend and then him telling me that this was happening and me saying, no, it's not. Oh, so he, uh, so he yeah, mentioned yeah. this is the yesterday, same friend yesterday is right? Yesterday is the anniversary of me not breaking the news that UCLA <laughs> and USC were going to the Big Ten. And he's the one that said Colorado's leaving. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. We haven't – that hasn't come to fruition yet. Uh, by the way – Oh, um, it's coming, baby. Hold on. Uh, we need some uh, – No media rights deal yet. 
Yeah, tell me about it. It doesn't happen. But yeah, tomorrow's the anniversary of USC and UCLA sort of rocking the college football world and leaving. Uh, well, I guess it would be, so what's tomorrow? Friday. I guess Saturday is July 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Or is there 30, is there 31? Uh, 30, yeah. July 1st is Saturday. Did, uh, did you just ask if there were 30 or 31 days in June? Yeah. I don't know. I like, didn't know off the top of my head. Hang on. Uh, is there a way to do a poll on uh, on our 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 YouTube? Can we do I don't know polls? about a poll. You can ask like comments and stuff. All right. Sign, sound off in the comments if you uh, are aware of the number of days in each month. All right, Ryan. Quick quiz. No, I don't, like. Can I, we do the quiz? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, January. Uh, Thirty-one. February. Twenty-eight. Or twenty-nine. <laughs> March. Uh, Thirty-one. April. I think 31. 30. 30, okay. May. Uh, 31. June. Uh, 30. July. 31. August. 31. September. 30. October. 31. November. 30. December. 31. Okay, so you only missed one. That's pretty good, yeah. But I don't, like, just on the top of my head, I won't, like, like... My seven-year-old and my ten-year-old would not miss the one, but, (laughs) okay, that's all right. (laughs) Nice. Um, yeah, there's, people are talking about like the use your knuckles. Like there's different methods. Like I don't know. I never really remembered a, a method or whatever. Um, wait, what were we talking about? Oh, and so July 1st, that will be one year. We will be one year before officially USC and UCLA leave. So July 1st, 2024, USC and UCLA members of the Big Ten. So We'll actually be inside a year and counting sort of that down uh, to see what's going on there. Uh, it's a little crazy when you think about it. Like the, yeah. the schedule stuff kind of made it real. Did you see um, Ross Dellinger does a nice job over at Sports Illustrated? I think he was the first one to get that NCAA um, memo, I guess, that was sent out about basically they were kind of declaring war on NIL collectives and saying things like, um, you're, you're not allowed to offer any kind of donors to collectives incentives. Cause I guess Texas A&M was like saying, Hey, you donate to the collective and you'll get better seats, you know, like in the for football games and stuff The NCAA says you can't do that. Anyone, like if it's a collective, that's obviously associated with the school. They're treating it like a booster group. So you can't be involved in recruiting. Like it's basically saying like collectives, you can't do what you've been doing. Um, or at least the more aggressive ones are doing. So it was a kind of an interesting memo. I don't know if it has any teeth or anything, but um, it's sort of like the NCAA is trying to, if they get some sort of congressional help with collectives or whatever, NIL, that's one thing. But this is sort of their like attempt at saying like, you can't do this. But I think every, well, not everybody, but a lot of the more aggressive collectives like the Tennessees and Texas A&Ms and Miamis, like they're doing all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you saw it and any thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I, I would be skeptical that it does have any teeth. Um, now, uh, the problem is not putting these rules in in the first place. Uh, right. Letting the letting the uh, uh, organism grow, letting it um, fester, whatever you want to call it, and then attempting to uh, institute safeguards. Um, you know, they created a system where. Uh, virtually every program has some sort of NIL collective now supporting it. Um, and so they, they've, they've developed a system of operating and now putting that, you know, back in its bottle or whatever is going to be very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is a pretty 
uh, I won't say high-handed. Are these all rules that would have made sense at the beginning? Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, but you can't wait. I mean, what are we, two and a half years after they said, hey, yeah, do whatever the hell you want. Um, <laughs> it was like three, literally like a one-page three, like don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Go, yeah. go do NIL. And then I was impressed with the collectives just coming around. I guess there were some schools that were already – doing this kind of underground so they just sort of like bubbled up to the surface but collectives happened fast i was like what like people like go you know go fund me's or whatever like you know pulling their money together to like pay players like i well, didn't and it's, didn't it, even think about that it just happened so fast it's just like it's not acknowledging the reality of the situation which is um if this is instituted immediately and all the schools decide they're going to stop doing this which isn't going to happen but say nope. they did there are promises that have been made. There are contracts that have been signed. There are deals that have been done. So what? They're not supposed to honor their agreements now? Yeah. Like there's there's inequity that's going to happen for the players if anybody actually uh, accepts this ruling as having teeth. So uh, and it- nice try. No, I don't think they can do this. And we're only – the problem is – we're still probably a couple years away from players getting paid by the schools. And so yes. you can't, you can't then remove this support, uh, as well. Um, so it, I doubt it has any teeth. I'm sure some schools will take it as having more teeth than it does. Some schools with particularly overactive compliance departments, hmm. um, looking at you school, I cover, uh, same schools. <laughs> we cover both very, very compliant. Oh my god, <laughs> they're compliant folks. We get emails if you like take a picture of a recruit, like a recruit's picture in the background of practice. You're like, oh my god. Well, okay. I mean, I mean, think about USC. The 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 effect of dropping down 15 scholarships. I mean, it was felt for generations. It's still going to be felt in There's, 2050. That's in their minds. Yes, they still go back to that. Like we had sanctions of like, oh my god, that was like a long time ago. But yeah. whatever. Uh, they also, I don't know if you saw this. Part of what this was. So. All these state laws are coming out and they're sort of encouraging or allowing more and more on the NIL side. California has obviously been, um, you know, a trailblazer for this. They were the first state to have an NIL bill. It was, you know, in the future. And then I think some others like Florida might have came out and did a did a similar bill, but it was going to happen a lot faster. Now they've got this lawsuit against USC and the Pac-12 about, you know, athletic departments having to. Uh, share money. They're trying to pass stuff in Congress or whatever um, to, uh, you know, allow athletic departments to share revenue with with uh, players from the revenue sports and all that. Uh, but there's, and I think mostly in the South, there are states that are passing laws basically to help their state school beat their competitors. Like they can do more in NIL and things like that. And the NCAA was saying, oh, by the way, uh, if your state, like, we're, you don't, you know, you need to follow the NCAA, not your state laws, because we're an organ, a volunteer organization that you chose to join. So even if your state says you can do this, we're saying that you cannot. So there's a lot of stuff going on with, you know, you got state po- politics, you got national politics, you got the NCAA trying to, like, you know, put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's a pretty crazy situation. Yeah, no, totally. And um, I just don't. I think they've created a system that's just, yeah, it's screwed up in a lot of ways. This isn't the way to have done this, but it is, it's still better than what was present before, which was nothing. Yes. Um, and so, uh, 
you just kind of kind of have to go with uh, this crappy situation you've created. It's probably going to, I mean, end result, is it really going to have that much effect on the overall um, power balance of the sport? Probably not. Yeah. Like the, the rich who were already paying a lot of players or paying players, just they're doing it above board now. Yeah. So. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Coach Prime, um, Neon Deion Sanders. So he uh, had to go in the hospital. They had that circulatory problem where he lost a couple of toes. There was talk that he could potentially have his leg amputated. Apparently, that did not happen, and he's recovering. So, uh, wishing Coach Prime the best. Yeah, that'd be that'd be just weird if you had like a one-legged Coach Prime on the sidelines. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff we haven't seen since like the twenties. Um, like you're, you're probably talking about like a World War One vet who was like coaching college football back in the twenties. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe like a peg leg, um, but not something you see too often. No, no, not in modern era. My, um, do you have any like friends, family with uh, amputees or anything? Or no, the most I can think of is like a finger or two. Okay. Um, you know, from uh, you know, accidents, like, right? You know. Stuck, stuck my hand in the table saw again. Oh, damn. Um, my, uh, my graphic design teacher in high school, uh, he had like, it, it was like the longer he worked, the more of his, uh, his digits on his fingers he had to sacrifice to the, uh, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, this guy, uh, Tony Hawksworth and he was missing first, like the first digit on his uh, ring finger. Uh, and then while I was in his class, he lost the second digit on the ring finger. You were there? Uh, no, 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 I wasn't there, but like oh. that year. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Fun times. No, it's good. My uncle, uh, my mom's brother, so like he's my actually a godfather, um, had a motorcycle accident. I don't know. It was probably like 15 something years ago. Uh, and... Uh, all kinds of damage to his leg, all these surgeries and stuff. And it just was constant pain really to the point where they like dislocated his leg, like just below the knee. Ooh. So he's got like a fun, cool blade and stuff. He's still like, he's 77, I think. And does like CrossFit and golfs and everything still like on one leg. So it's pretty, it's pretty badass when you go out, uh, go out with him, but that's it's amazing. Fun. Yeah. We'll go hiking sometimes when he's, when he's in town. And you ever seen like see. a three-legged dog, like when they're yeah. running around, they're like faster than four-legged dogs. They it's can crazy. like move around. Good. Yeah. There was, there was some video, this is like total off, because it's us, we're off topic. It was like this, this dog that looked like he was like limping and stuff, and he like gets food and then he just walks off. So he was like totally faking like an injury to get like the, the treat or whatever. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, dogs are awesome. Um, yeah, uh, there was a, a shout out to Cody Nagel. He's a new uh, desk guy for 24-7 Sports. He's putting out some interesting sort of stats. Um yeah, there was all oh, playoff. Yeah, they, he was doing some like playoff appearances by conference, Pac-12. He's only had two, Oregon and Washington. But um, number of schools, uh, SEC has three, Big Ten's had three, ACC has two, Big 12 two. Um, but yeah, so we need to get another one in there for the Pac-12 if you can. Uh, and also the Director's Cup. It used to be called the Sears Cup, but Sears doesn't really exist anymore. Stanford wins this every year, right? Now, yeah, because uh, they haven't um, – they, they just keep adding ridiculous sports that nobody's ever – They do have more sports and yeah. all this stuff. But uh, so who – so Stanford's one. Who, who's like two, three, four? Who would you think in the Pac-12? I mean, the, the, the classics, uh, USC, UCLA, Cal. 
USC is 10th, so but they were second in the Pac-12. UCLA came in 14th, which is a little surprising. Usually they're higher. They've won like a few championships this year. I don't know why they would be that low. Um, Washington came in fourth at 21, and then Cal just behind them at uh, 22. Because I know Cal... Cal usually wins some championships every year, too. Yeah, it's usually that. I mean, it's usually Stanford, USC, UCLA, and Cal because they have all the sports. Um, they play more of the sports and win yeah. the water polo and all that, kind, all of that stuff. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Utah, ASU, Oregon, Arizona, all in like the top. They're like the top 43. Those schools I just mentioned are all fairly close. A little bit down from that, Oregon State and Colorado. And then Washington State's like the like they're 166. Like they're 100 spots behind 11th place Colorado. So I guess Washington State doesn't have as robust of an athletic department, but I don't know. I don't know how this stuff works. I know UCLA's won, you know, USC won like women's volleyball. I mean, uh, beach volleyball. And they've done well in other sports, but UCLA's won like two or three national championships, right? You'd think they'd be higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't follow the Olympic sport performance as much as I should, should, much as I could. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I have no idea. I, I, they won, I think, two titles this year, but um, you know whether, like soccer. whether whether track and field was just average or abysmally bad, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think that's about it. Why don't we take a break? I haven't even looked at the questions, but let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, answer some questions. Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So so. So so. So so's okay. <laughs> Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions if you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. How was your break? Uh, mine was good. Yeah? How about yours? It was okay. I think... Are you getting, someone put signed you up for our time now? What are we on? I thought our time was the one we already had. No, I, I'm saying like our time is, um, what's it called? Uh, it's like an old people, like for seniors dating. Yeah, so like no, it, that was one that already, that was the one that already signed us up. Oh, okay. I yeah. see, I saw more of those in there. I thought I had unsubscribed from this one though. Oh, maybe you have. I'm not sure. And then there's still, we still get match.com constantly. Are we, are those going into the uh, spam box? Yeah, or they're in the social section. Linda Linda signed us up for Match.com again, I think. <laughs> oh, this Linda person. Yeah. Um, hey, I got a chat one. We'll put up there to start, and then I'll, I'll look to see. Uh, Alex, Ryan, Dave, question. What kind of leg would you get? A wooden leg, peg like a pirate, a fake leg, or one of those springy new, new age metal legs? So, I mean, from what I understand, uh, it's not like an enjoyable experience to be on one of those legs. Um, and if they're cheaply made, you can get like abrasions. You get a lot of soreness and stuff. So I got to go new age. Yeah. You know, got to have like the best technology for that because, you know, 
It wouldn't be great to lose your leg. No. And I'd, I, put my, it, I'd put it bottom tier. Yes. My uncle has like, so I mean, there's pain involved. Like it has to fit right on your knee. Yeah. And like he's a, a, a vet, you know, army veteran. And so like he worked with like the VA for a while, but then you also have to kind of put your own money in because they're expensive, you know, and uh, his blade though is pretty cool. Like he can hike and run around and stuff, but you don't always want that. You want like a regular one you could wear a shoe with. So you kind of have to swap out depending on what you're doing. If you're doing something athletic, the blade thing's cool. It's springy and you can bounce around. But all of it, just the way it fits on there, because it's you know it's connecting to your knee or wherever you're amputated from. All right. So arm or leg, which one would you lose? Oh, shit. I mean, if it was, I think leg. You'd take a leg? I think so. I mean, it would have to be left arm, if anything, because I'm like very all right-handed. right arm or a leg? Leg. You? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Both legs or an arm? Oh, crap. Uh, no, I think it would, yeah, I think it would have to be an arm then. Okay. What, what about you for either one of those? If it's left arm, I'd probably lose the left arm um, before I'd lose my legs. Yeah. But. Both legs, man, that'd be tough. Both legs would be really, really tough. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. like, one leg you can definitely, I mean, I see my uncle getting around, it's. It works pretty well. Uh, Frank said, tell Dave that Lincoln, Nebraska is only 1,500 miles away. Um, So I guess he sent an attachment on that. Mm. Frank, not in Sacramento, but almost halfway to Nebraska. Okay. Wonder he's somewhere else. Yeah. Cool. 1,500 miles? Maybe. All right. This is from uh, my 63 Chevy. Oh, nice. Coach Olympics. Gentlemen, because it's the offseason, we need some debate and solid questions for the two of you two to answer. The two of you, whatever. Uh, Question one. (laughs) Would an elite high school team like St. Thomas, IMG, Allen, etc. be able to beat an average D3 team? The high school team would almost certainly have a talent edge, but the D3 squad squad would have the extra few years to bulk up and could maybe own the line of scrimmage. Thoughts? Hmm. Um, I have a buddy who played D3 football. Um... Uh, I'm going to go with the high school. I think so, too. Yeah, because um, my buddy's not really a... He was a starter, started at multiple positions, and he's he's not very athletic. In my, It's funny, my early... Well, yeah, early, like mid-20s or whatever, I was playing on like the softball team. I was living up the Bay. I was an engineer up in the Bay Area. And, uh, yeah, one of the dudes on our team, like, I'm better... I was better than him or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I played double-A baseball and stuff. I'm like, you did? Like, I played, like... Up to high school baseball, but I was okay. I mean, it was pretty good. I just kind of stopped. Yeah. My dad was kind of a jerk as a coach or whatever. But, and I was like, wait, how did you, you were a professional baseball player? Like, I'm definitely better than you. Like, this doesn't make any sense, you know? Like, a lot of minor leaguers out there. Oh my man. God. There's so many of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. So that's why, like, the Division Three, you're sort of like, oh my God. Like, yeah, maybe. Uh, Question two, all pack, all 12 Pac-12 coaches are subject to an off-season coaching, quote, Olympics, where they will all compete in the following events, uh, gaining points. 12 to 1, based on how well they finish in each event. Okay. Which of them comes out with a gold medal, and who is the Colorado of the group? All right. The events are go-kart race, uh, 18 holes of golf, a chess tournament, darts, uh, NCAA football 2014 tourney, where your opponent picks your team, team laser tag, uh, north versus south, trivia, and cornhole tourney. All right. Go-kart race. Uh, he said we're not supposed to factor in weight. So, um, who do we think would be a good go-kart racer? 
Oh my god, do we have to go through everyone? No, no, no. Let's just pick who, who would win that event. Okay. Uh go kart race. So wait, yeah, so they wait down the cart so everyone's the same. This feels like a Kenny Dillingham. I you gotta go with Young in this one? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I could go with that. Uh eighteen holes of golf. You know, Jonathan Smith, like former quarterback. You think he's a golfer? I kinda I'm guessing he's a golfer. Mm. What do you think? I could buy that. Uh, chess tournament. Does Lincoln play golf? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, let's go. John he looks like he could, but I don't. Uh, chess could. tournament. Um, a lot of head coaches don't play golf because they just don't have the time. Who's smart? Jed Fish? Ooh, Jed might be a good one. Chess? He could be an interesting uh, chess guy. Um Darts is is my man Chip. No question about it. Chip is he, like, he's the guy who hangs out in a bar and, and plays darts. Have it. He has a pint. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'll give you that one. NCAA football 2014. Got to be young. Uh, Dan Lanning. We'll go Dan Lanning. Okay. Uh, team laser tag. So North versus South. All right. So this is going to be a the former question. divisions. All right. So DeBoer, Dickert, uh, Jonathan Smith, Lanning. And Troy Taylor and Justin Wilcox okay. versus Kyle Whittingham, Hunter, but old. But as far as guns Deion go. Sanders, not super mobile anymore. <laughs> well. Lincoln Riley, Chip Kelly, Jed Fish, Kenny Dillingham. I'm going to go north. I think I'm going to go north, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, trivia. All right. Who are the more interesting coaches to talk to? DeBoer's not super interesting. Dickert's not super interesting. No. Lanning's not super interesting. Smith is not interesting. <laughs> Troy Taylor's not interesting. Wilcox isn't interesting. You got to go south. Yeah. Uh, so who in the south is winning trivia? Um, I mean, it could be Chip again. Maybe Chip. He. Yeah, probably Chip. Yeah. Yeah. Again, something you do in a bar with a bunch of friends. <laughs> uh, and then a corn. Like he literally. I told you the story. Like he literally. Rem- like when I told him my high school in Massachusetts, he he named Howie Long. He's like, oh, Howie Long went there. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? Like that was a long time ago. Cornhole tournament is. Uh, I'm going to go Dion. Oh. Just pure athleticism. He's going to get it down, and he's going to be throwing perfect strikes. Um. Yeah, I think I'd go with that. Yeah. Well, Dan Lanning coming from the south. It, 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 there's there's like, oh, I'm a I'm a guy who's played at frat parties and I've done pretty well. And then there's I'm a supreme athlete and I can do anything if you give me like three practice throws. Yeah. That's um, Deion Sanders. Are you I'm pretty good at Cornhole. Are you pretty good? Yeah, I'm I'm yeah, for the same reason. Like, yeah, I'm, I can doof around and do any of that stuff. We got West Texas Mike, thirteen to nine. Sigh, gentlemen. It brings me no pleasure to bring this oh-so-long-ago matter to your attention, but I'm curious to hear your two divergent perspectives about Hang's Head, 13 to 9. I was listening to a goddamn Irish show the other day, and when recounting USC's history over the past 20 years or so, one SOB mentioned the 2006 game against the Bruins and added that USC, quote, choked. Now, we all must agree that the goddamn Irish have no right to open their goddamn mouths when it comes to the subject of choking. But I asked a friend of mine, and he said, yes, by every definition, it's a choke. To only score one touchdown against a rival when a national title game berth is on the line is a choke. Note, I'm including Wikipedia's definition of choke in the sport at the bottom. So uh, in these nearly two decades, have I been wrong for putting too much emphasis on the clause that defines choke as, quote, failure 
when the event is more important than usual. I always chalked up the loss to lack of discipline, boredom, arrogance, the sorry-ass Pete Carroll coaching tree of Sark and Kiffin. This was USC's fifth season of high-stakes football. Uh, that meant a hell of a lot, but I wouldn't define it as more important than usual. And then again, it wasn't like it was Liner Bush and White back there. Uh, these were, in many cases, a new generation of Trojans. Trojans who then turned around uh, to go on and hammer the 11-1 Wolverines in the Rose Bowl. You see the seesaw I'm on here? So, have you two seen this game uh, at the time it happened and today? Uh, Vegas Mike. Okay. Um, so, 13-9 is a complex one for me. Oh, West uh, Texas Mike. Sorry, in yeah. Vegas. 13-9 is complex for me because I didn't uh, watch the first half live uh, because I was taking the LSAT that day. Uh, um, so it was like a spiritual experience, uh, coming out of the LSAT, seeing, uh, calling a friend, hearing what the score was, listening to it on the radio, deciding whether I'm going to go to the Rose Bowl from uh, Southwestern Law School or whether I'm going to go home. I went home um, and then uh, banging pots and pans and getting uh, super silly with it that night. Now, knowing uh, that Carl Durrell was going to get more time, whatever. <laughs> at that point, like that, that game was such an experience that we were all convinced he deserved more time at that point. Yeah. Um, so here's the UCLA perspective on that game um, is there were some factors that were not related to the emotional part of that game that needed to be stated. Dwayne Walker was UCLA's defensive coordinator that year, and he was a pretty good defensive coordinator. But if there was one thing he was brought in to do, it was to uh, fuck USC's offense up because he had just been an assistant for USC. Uh just prior to him uh, arriving at UCLA. So his understanding of what USC was trying to do offensively. Now, he was okay otherwise. Like, he did pretty well against Notre Dame, except for the final two minutes. Like, there were some other, like, really good games. But that game was like a magnum opus defensively. Um, they, like, the way the way they had it scouted out was just every time there was, like, a pitch to the outside, there were three linebackers. It was just, Christian Taylor was right there every single time. Like, they had... All of the keys of that offense read completely. Like this was this was, it was it was UCLA Super Bowl in so many different ways, but it was also like what their defense had been designed to do uh, under Dwayne Walker. So there was an element of it where this was going to be a tough game for USC that year, whether or not uh, they were emotionally engaged. Now I can't speak to their level of emotional engagement. I'm sure once they were getting their you know. Dicks kicked in by halftime. They certainly got a little bit more engaged. Um, but whether or not it's a choke, I don't know. I mean, I kind of go on the um, – a, a choke is more of a circumstantial thing. Like if you had big things on the line and you lose a game, that's a choke, whether it was a justified loss or not. Like if you were a, a program that was going to uh, you know play for a national championship, if you win this game, then it's a choke. So I think in some level it's a choke. But um, there were a lot of factors in there that it was going to be tough regardless. It was at the Rose Bowl, which is always a tougher game, and uh, they had designed literally everything for that game. Yeah. I, choke didn't really – I don't really look at it as a choke more. It's like – you know, choke is like the you're missing two free throws with the game on the line, and you only need to make one, and you miss them both. And it's sort of like that's something you could do every day. I yeah. mean, John David Booty throwing the interception to Eric McNeil at the end of that game was a little bit of a choke. Okay, I mean that would, but I to me that was more about. But it was also a spectacular play. So that's another thing where it's like 
Eric McNeil picking that ball off instead of just tipping it, that was incredible. But John David Booty continuing his beloved tradition of throwing the ball into the hands of a defensive lineman, eh, kind of his fault. I, I go with that. I would say in this case, like you'd mentioned, this was UCLA Super Bowl. Like literally you're designing your defense for a game at the end of the season and who cares if it doesn't work other games with it's not the, you know, like basically putting all your eggs into this basket. Like we're all we want to do is beat USC this year. Like basically yep. that's all. And then USC sort of like not giving a crap as much as they should have. And then, you know, doing it then like later in the game, but not when it matters. I think it's just, it's more about the emotional and, you know, investment in the game. So it wasn't like, yeah, I, the choke, I think I just, it seems more about the, how emotionally invested they were. And like, you're, you're, playing a team on the road that had circled this game forever and USC hadn't circled the game. It didn't really care as much. And then comes back to bite you sometimes. I think it's more about overlooking, you know, an important game. It, it's, it's more about your mental, your mindset going into it than choking in it, I guess. But yeah. And the, I mean, USC had beaten UCLA 66 to 19 the previous year. Yeah. So uh, overlooking, I generally, I generally don't buy overlooking as an argument for the rivalry game because First, players don't have the same feeling about games that fans do. And for them, talking shit to your buddy that you went to high school with that's on the opposing team is pretty important. Yeah. Like, whether or not, like, that team's good or whatever, it's like, uh, I want to talk some shit. Um, and so I don't usually buy it, but that that game that season makes a lot of sense as something where USC is like, well, we beat this team by 47 last year. Like, yeah. well, we're going to be okay. We're good. They're not. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things that you can. Yeah. But obviously, you still had a great game plan and all that stuff. So, but yeah, I would tend to not be on the choke side, but. No. All right. This is from Alfred Boomslang. All hail, David David Woods. Wow. All hail. I applaud you, Dave. Not only are you acknowledging that the Nebraska bug eaters are a complete trash program, but you also take pleasure in feasting on asshole, a true modern gentleman. That's all. Okay. All right. Thank you. That's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. uh, podcast question from, uh, looks like Anthony, Ryan or Dave, which do you prefer? You can only choose one. And this is, uh, okay, has a blue pill and a red pill. Showering in the morning. Is the blue pill. Showering at night. Is the red pill. I'm a blue pill. What are you? I have gone back and forth on this over the course of my life. Um, I was, as a child, a shower at night person. Okay. Up until... Boy, I probably transitioned somewhere in college, um, be became a shower in the morning person. Um, I'm now uh, firmly, and I would say 95% of the time, I'm a shower in the morning. Occasionally, I will do a double dip. I will shower in the morning, and then I and will then, also yeah. shower at night if it's been a, you know, a day where I'm doing stuff like you know, sweating or whatever. Um, but I'm mostly a shower in the morning. Now there are there is a school of thought that you have to shower at night or else you're making your bed disgusting every single day. That's fair. You um, gotta change your sheets. Yeah. Uh but I don't buy that. Like, yeah, it's kinda like it's kinda bullshit. Well uh, also like are you gonna like okay, so you shower at night, then you go to go into the bed and then you wake up in the morning and you just go out and do your day after like just stewing in your own juices for eight hours? Like why are you doing that to other people? I, for me, it's more about like the hair. Like if I get out of the shower, whatever you put, you know, stuff in your hair, whatever you do, however you get your hair ready. And some people don't, I guess. 
And it's like, okay. And now if I go to bed, you have like bedhead and stuff. So if I wake up, am I going to work with like bedhead? You know, like what? Do That's I just- the other thing. Yeah, no. And that was a big part of it for me is like I get mad bedhead. Like, and even when I had, you know, quite a bit more hair than I do now, like I get. Where'd that go, Ben? I get like the huge like cowlicks back here. Um, and it's just. <laughs> like horns. Yeah, no. And it's just like I, I can't go anywhere if I don't shower in the morning. And so it's like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, there's just some logic involved because um, I think for like, I don't know, um, I, I think if you keep very close cropped hair um, and you don't style it in any way, then you can, you can shower whenever the hell you want. Yeah. Um, but I've always gotten like, even if I buzz my head, I get cowlicks. Like I just get <laughs> um, big chunks of hair in the back. I, I, I sleep hard, man. Like, it's just it's just hard. Like on your head. Yeah. <laughs> Just pressing my head hard as I can into the pillow. Nice. I think I got one last one. All right. This is from uh, Frank in Sacramento. Big NIL could keep kids in college. Uh, Stu and Bruce on the Audible podcast had an interesting point this week about kids deciding to stay in college rather than turn pro because of great NIL deals they could get. They gave the example of the Arkansas quarterback who will make a lot more money staying for one more year than he would as a third string backup NFL player. I got to thinking about Caleb Williams. If he had another great year and became nationally famous, he could be approached by a national brand to spend a senior year in college for some astronomical amount of cash. He might stay, dot, dot, dot. So I think if you're like a top draft pick, I don't care how much NIL money you're going to get. I don't think it would make sense. Like it would only be because you just want to be in school. Like, yeah, maybe the money is great, but it you're not going to compare to being a first round or, you know, number one overall pick. Like, I don't think you're going to get that kind of money. Um, generational wealth sort right. of thing. Um, and there, there, this comes up a lot, David, where people are like, well, then, uh, well, why doesn't he just go off scholarship and then he can just get NIL? And it's like, no, like there's like, it's like being a certain class of like, you're a scholarship player, walk-on player. They've tried to bridge that gap, but there's a de- there's definitely a gap there. Like you don't want to be a walk-on and just getting a lot of money because it's just, you're kind of in a different category. So those guys that people like sort of like try to come up with that stuff, it I don't really buy it, but I don't know what you think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the middle tier is where it makes sense, but I think you're right. Um, I don't think anyone's passing up, and this goes for all sports. I don't think anyone's passing up top tier uh, NBA draft money. I don't think anyone's passing up top tier NFL draft money. The only time I've ever seen it, and I guess this is the longer bit of information we have, is occasionally you will see a baseball player up for college when they don't like um, – their potential placement um, in the draft, even if they are going to be a like late first rounder or an early second rounder, they don't like it for whatever reason, or they can't pre-negotiate, or I don't know how it all works, but um, they'll occasionally go to college in that situation. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, uh, guys who are going to get big signing bonuses and money to play what they've always dreamed to play, because unless you get a real nutcase, um, and you know, there's some, uh, these guys aren't dreaming of playing college sports. The dream is playing pro sports. So even if the money is equal, uh, they want to go to the pros and they want to live that dream. And it depends on your position too. You'd like to, you know, get in there and get into camp and learn, you know, if you're a running back, you only got so many years of, you know, of playing, like you'd rather use that. We get to see some cowlicks there. It was nice. Yeah, man. If you're watching on YouTube. Uh huh. We have a couple in the chat and then we'll uh, get you guys out of here. Thomas. Uh, seems like silence from George Klyovkov isn't by choice, rather because of Comcast litigation or wrongful termination lawsuits. And then he followed that up with, um, 
notice Wilner is only referring to the cases uh, elliptically, trying to remember if someone has said something public recently. We haven't heard from Klyovkov. There are There is pending litigation. There's negotiations and stuff going on. Uh, also, tomorrow is the last day that uh, San Diego State can leave without paying double the exit fee, leave the Mountain West. Um, I don't think we're getting a deal before then. I don't think San Diego State's going to be joining before then. So it's either going to be San Diego State doesn't join, joins in 2025, or somehow comes up with the money. Or the Pac-12 just says, we're doing 10, we're not doing... I I kind of feel like the Pac-12 is going to do 10 for 2024 and then maybe expand after that. I don't, what, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I really don't. And we're not getting any clarity. And this does not strike me as a particularly um, good excuse for why we aren't. Uh, he has to say something. It's his job. If yeah. he is uh, prevented from saying something because of lawsuits, um, well... He can still talk. You know, yeah, like, he can still talk. Also, uh, he has a duty to, to you know... Uh, uh, it's a duty. Well, he's just got a lot to do. I mean, you've got to say something. You have to pr be the public face. And if you are so incumbent, uh, so inhibited from doing so, uh, then your regime is a failure and your league is a failure and you need to move on. I mean, I, I think there's just... They can't like if this was at all legitimate, which I don't think it is. Yeah. I think the reason he's not talking is again very obvious. They don't have a deal. <laughs> they don't have anything close to a deal, and until they do have something close to a deal, he can't uh, assuage the concerns of any of these uh, programs in any kind of meaningful way. He yeah. can do a little bit. Like that's why you hear uh, Washington State's uh, idiot. What's his name? Kirk Schultz. That's uh, why you hear him saying something. Washington um, State's idiot. You got Arizona's guy popping off occasionally, uh, and they're all just Michael like, Michaels or whatever. Yeah, it's <laughs> Robert Robbins, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Michaels. Um, but you got these guys just uh, flapping their gums because uh, Klyavkov probably the only thing he can say is behind the scenes some you know bullshit like oh it's looking good, and then they can take that whichever way they want. Uh, but there's no deal. Like if there was a deal, we'd be hearing a lot more. There's nothing. Um, so no, I mean, no, it's, it's, uh, the only way this strategy works, like the only way, like, um, it looks like, okay, we see why is because they got some crazy good deal. That's off the, you know, out of the box. And it's like, wow, that's impressive. Okay, we'll give you the, we'll give you the better of the doubt. You don't have to talk all the time. If it comes out, it's just like an average deal or below average deal. Then it's just like, I think it's just a poor strategy. Yeah, you know. So but, I've got I've got a couple of topics I need to talk about. Oh, uh, did you? I have one more question. Or do you want to do? Oh no no uh, please question. Um, okay, let me pull it up here. Sorry. Let's do. It is uh, Eddie. Since 24-7 sports now doesn't rank the LA schools in the Pac-10, why are you two not doing a podcast about Wisconsin and Purdue? Dude. So the class of 2024, so if the rankings, because all the recruiting is going on for 2024. And mm -hmm. I would say, like, when I was talking to USC people, and I don't know if you do this with UCLA, I would be like, oh, USC has the number two class in the Pac-12 behind Oregon. And they would say, who cares? Talk about the Big Ten. I'm like, well, they're still in the Pac-12. But to be fair, like the 2024 kids won't be playing in the Big Ten. So, I mean, in the Pac-10 the Pac or Pac-12. So those recruits won't see the Pac-12. So I go, okay, that makes sense. But 24-7 Sports actually changed the rankings now. So when you click on Big Ten for 2024, it shows USC and UCLA. And if, I think it's the same thing in the SEC. It shows Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. Um, yeah. yeah. But we're... 
we're still talking. We're not really a recruiting podcast. We're a college football podcast. And for the next year, USC and UCLA are still in the Pac-12. So yeah, that's why. There what happens go. after that? Eddie, I don't know. Oh, geez. Who knows? All right. What um, are your topics? All right. So kid movie update. Okay. I uh, Last week, I saw uh, Elemental, the Pixar uh, film. Yes. And I saw the Little Mermaid live action movie. Oh. And I'm going to give some quick reviews. Okay. Little Mermaid live action is fine. However, and this is an important note that anyone, if you have not taking your kids to see this movie that you need to understand, consider, and possibly dissuade yourself from taking them. Okay. It is two hours and 15 fucking minutes long. It is so long. You are going to be at an hour, and you're going to be watching Ariel still under the sea, and you're going to be like, wait, I'm, fami she... I'm familiar with the plot of this film. <laughs> Why are we still underwater? And there will be another hour and 15 minutes left of that movie. Uh, there are several new songs. They're mostly mediocre. She's uh, a good singer, right? She's good. Ariel is good. I liked her. I thought Melissa McCarthy as Ursula was fine. Okay. Uh, Javier Bardem as King Triton was quite good. The okay. prince was a nothing. Absolutely nothing. Is he a known uh, prince or no? No, he's not. He's just a guy. I don't know. Okay. He's probably somebody. He's some young dude. Who cares? Um, <laughs> then there was uh, Aquafina. Is the uh, the the bird? Um, okay, she's drawn some criticism. Uh, I don't find her character in this film particularly annoying. However, I find uh, most of her performances kind of annoying uh, in most films. So I, I guess it depends on your mileage related to her. Okay. Um, uh, David Diggs was uh, fine as the crab thing. Um, the crab thing. Yeah, the, the little lobster thingy. Okay. Um. The movie though was was fine. Uh, it hit all the beats. It's not. There's nothing new in it uh, really, besides the songs. Um, it just it it needed to be at least half an hour shorter. Gotcha. Okay. Elemental. A little more editing. Elemental. Um, this movie is like they took uh, the color palette from Inside Out and the uh, structure of Zootopia. Um, okay. And put it together into like this paste and then combined that with the absolute non-plot of Encanto. It's not very good. Okay. Um, and Eddie, it, Eddie, it, says, Eddie says it's horrible in the chat. Yeah. It's, it's a conglomeration of a lot of like ideas that worked in other movies and trying to make them work without any conflict or um, anything that really makes a whole lot of sense. Now – if you took out all that bullshit, there's a like a nice little romance at play in that movie, okay. but it's it's way lesser than what you're typically seeing from Pixar in terms of theming, in terms of like what kind of what kind of story are they trying to tell? What kind of um, you know? Because Inside Out, like, it's really good and it's and it rings true and all these other things and it's it's you know everyone can like find can identify like aspects of their feelings about childhood and all that kind of stuff in there. Uh, you've got that. You've got a uh, um, up where the first ten minutes will break you as a human being if you have a soul. Right. Um, you've got uh, Coco, which is just absolute best exploration of death for a kid ever in you know the history of the world. So many moments that make you tear up. 
This one had nothing, none of that. Um, it was a nice little romance. Could have just been a romantic comedy of two people, um, you know, one an immigrant child, one like a child of immigrants, and the other one, you know, some you know, layabout uh, son of rich children, rich people, and it would have been, you know, a seventy percent of Rotten Tomatoes. But they made a Pixar movie about it. It wasn't very good. Gotcha. They have a good cast too, right? Like there's all like famous actors doing all the voices and stuff. Correct. Yeah, but it's just crap. Oh, also, uh, they played a short. So, you know, Pixar does the short films. Um, mm -hmm. The short film before this one was about the guy from Up, Carl. Okay. Remember Carl? Yeah, yeah. Big square face with the glasses. Uh, him getting ready for a date. It's oh. the worst Pixar short I've ever seen. Really? Again, just like plotless, nothing going on, trying to like um, – uh, rob some of the like emotional resonance from up with the the wife and the whole thing, but like not even hitting that very hard. Mm -hmm. It's just an old guy getting ready for a date, um, and I think it was just to like wet people's appetite because I believe they're working on an up sequel, which uh. there cannot cannot be any demand for because that movie has absolutely no rewatchability because you have ten minutes. That is just absolutely poetic. It's the best thing Pixar's ever done. Uh -huh. The first 10 minutes of that movie. Like, it made me, five of my friends, at 24, hung over on a Sunday afternoon. We were all just sitting there weeping in a movie theater. <laughs> um, it made that. But then the, the next, like, hour and a half of that movie is completely, like, it, it just, it makes your brain completely smooth and it just falls off of it. Like there's nothing about that movie that sticks with you in any way. Um, You're like and the little making, chubby scout guy. Yeah, and they're making a sequel about it. And it's yeah. like, uh, you don't need that. Nice. All right. Well, that's uh, your movie review from David David Woods, who takes his kids to see all these things and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I did see Up, but like most of the other ones I've. You know, did Up make you cry? Did you cry at the first I think, so. yeah, I was very emotional. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, like, dude. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's like. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's well done. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. Toy Story 3. The end of Toy Story 3, that also fucked me up real bad. I don't remember that one. <sighs> like the first couple. It's I like thought. giving the toys away. It's bad. Oh. It's, it's a tough one, man. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Thanks to our guest, uh, David Bartu. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Maybe next week we'll talk about a media deal. Maybe not. I'll have to come up with some other some other guest or something. or Because David doesn't do these things. This is Eddie's not. right. Hang on. It's a short story they made 90 minutes. Elemental was the short. Elemental should have been a short. Ah. Uh, like it should have been a seven minute movie. But they made it 90. Yeah. Oh. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, for David David Woods, uh, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Goodbye.